ghosts, cryptids, murder, conspiracies, beer, what, the, ale. Alrighty, hello friends. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to What the Ale. I'm Alana Ray. And I'm Mama J. And we are just a few days after Thanksgiving. Hope everyone ate some yummy food, watched some football, watched the parade, or just like did some self-care. Um, what are you drinking today, Mom? <laughs> um, well, I, I just came from a brunch at my friend's house. Like, so we did like a little Friendsgiving kind of brunch vibe. Mm. And I had two, well, I had one classic mimosa and one peach bellini while I was over there and nice. so I am drinking water now <laughs> because I've had my two drinks for the day and I think I'm good and so um yeah so I'm drinking water but brunch is really fun nice yeah I um I'm also just drinking coffee um but I did have a nice little like it wasn't really a Friendsgiving. My friends and I did like a Zoom happy hour last night that ended up being like four hours long. And so we oh, were nice. drinking <laughs> wine and talking and having a good time, which was so lovely. But now I'm like, okay, I need like coffee. I need water. Like I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. Well, any what the ale moments this week? Um, Let me think. Um, well, you know, actually, I um, because I, I hosted on Wednesday instead of Thursday this year, um, because, you know, my kids were going to be with their dad on actual Thanksgiving. So I hosted on Wednesday and Thursday I ended up volunteering. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just like a very cool experience and like how grateful people were and to see, you know, different people that were alone for the holiday coming together and finding community and all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, my what the ale moment is like, why have I not done this before? And it was like really cool. Um, in the LGBT center, you know, they do like a chosen family feast and it was just very cool to be there and be a part of that. And the, um, playlist was on fire. So <laughs> I got to dance around and serve a bunch of food and it was great. So yeah, my what the ale is, why haven't I done that before? And I need to do it again. Nice. Nice, nice. nice. What about you? Yeah, I've been trying to think. I don't think I've done anything all that exciting recently. Um, but one what the L moment I do have is with this house I'm dog sitting in. And that is they have a hot tub, but the hot tub is not filled. So I can't use it. And I'm so upset about it. I want to. Oh, that's <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, almost like that was my plan on Thanksgiving because like, you know, we had dinner on Wednesday and I was like, oh, I'm going to like sit in the hot tub and like relax and then I like went I like hadn't put my suit on yet but I like went to go check and see if the hot tub was even on and whatever and it fully was not full so oh, that's a bummer that's a bummer why have a hot tub if you're not if you're not going to use it you know like <laughs> yeah I agree it be put to good use yes exactly I would have totally been in the hot tub for like two days straight it would have been worth it <laughs> but um Oh, well, it's fine. I'll just hot tub next time I'm at the gym. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, it is my story this week. And I, I guess, like, we can get into it. Um, okay. 
So folks may remember my mom did Amityville last or last month sometime. And we were talking about a really interesting uh, couple called the Warrens. And so I decided to do another Warren centered episode. Ooh. So, so what you doing? I am covering the devil made me do it case. Ooh. Do you know okay. anything about this one? A little bit, but I'm looking forward to hearing what you find. You're okay. So before I get into this case, I just want to like point out, um, yes, I recognize that in the Conjuring universe, there was a movie about this case. Um, it's also been featured in shows like Ghost Adventures and um, on Netflix and in a novel called The Devil in Connecticut. Um, I um, want to make it clear, like I did do kind of just like an in general, like, uh, like research about the case online. And then I watched the Netflix documentary about the case where they actually interviewed like folks from the family that were involved. Um, and it definitely added some insight. They also interviewed the Warren's nephew who is now kind of like running and in charge of their, um, museum in Connecticut. So let's get into it. Okay. So the main sort of part or like the main family in this case is the Glatzel family. So the Glatzels had a mother and father named Jason and Judy. And then they had four kids, Carl, David, Alan, and Debbie. Um, and Debbie was, I believe, I don't know if she was the oldest child, but the only daughter. And she, um, was moving with her boyfriend, Arnie, into a new house in Newtown, Connecticut. Um, and apparently, like, they were pretty much, like, engaged. They were planning to, like, get married the following year, like, very young. Like, I think they were, like, 20, like, 19 and 20 or something. Just very young, like, in love type of couple. Um, and so, like any good family does, I guess, in July of 1980, they decided to help the couple move. Um. And for some reason, the youngest son, David, who was 11 at the time, just felt that there was something weird about the house. Um, he said that um, it was just like a weird vibe, weird energy. He didn't want to be there, but he still was like, nope, I'm going to help my sister out. So they had him upstairs sweeping and like cleaning out one of the bedrooms in the little apartment they were cleaning. And um he experienced something really terrifying where he was essentially pushed onto the bed in one of the bedrooms. And he said that he saw, and this is a quote here, a devil from a Halloween costume. So I'm guessing like very like the classic, like horns pitchfork. I don't know. Um, but he okay. said coal like black- red face. And- yeah. Like yeah. And he said it had coal black eyes and that it told him to beware and that it wanted his soul. So hmm. he basically just like ran downstairs and was like, you guys, we have to leave. Like we have to get out of the house. We have to go. I don't want to be here. And the family listened, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. And so when they got home, they were like sitting down having dinner and he was like, everything seemed fine when I was at the house, but he like wanted to talk to his family about it. Cause they kind of were like, dude, you like ran out super freaked out what happened. 
And so he explained what was going on. He was like completely convinced that the, de- the devil was going to come for him. Um, wow. And his family was like, they, they like believed him, but they were also like, okay, but like, have you been anywhere near the medicine cabinet? Like, did you maybe take something? Did you, what up? Cause like, they were like, it's just weird. And he swore. Well, he- girl, what kind of medicine did they have in their medicine cabinet? You know, I'm thinking eighties, <laughs> maybe they had some magic mushrooms. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> they must have had something good in the cabinet if they thought that could have done it exactly exactly I don't know man um but so they were able to like calm him down and be like you know you probably just like you know made up a story maybe you hit your head like whatever and we're like let's go to bed so he woke up in the middle of the night and he kind of explains it as like he was kind of like out of his body and he could like feel something coming closer and closer to the house. And that something was watching him. Um, And so then he was, you know, still in his room and he sees a figure. And when he sees the figure, a toy truck, like a little battery truck thing started like making noises and lighting up without him even touching it. And when he, he like looked at the truck and then he looked back at the figure and the figure was gone. And I don't really know what all was going on, but I guess Judy, the mother was just like, you know what, like, let's try to calm him down. Let's, you know, whatever. So they called a priest to come bless the house. And so the priest came, he was like praying and doing whatever he does and was basically like, all right, it's all clear. Like you guys should be good now. So they all thought everything was fine, but they were wrong. So nothing happened while the priest was there and no, nothing was reacting to the prayer, the waters, blessings or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like that. And so they thought it was fine. They all go to bed living their lives. And the next or that night or morning at three in the morning, David was screaming, he's coming for me. And David recalls at this time that the house was like rumbling, like someone like basically drove a truck into it or the one of the brothers was like, or like a UFO was landing on top of the house. Like they said the house was shaking. Um, they said lights. Did were everybody know that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or at least the people that were there. So David shared a room with one of the brothers. And so the brother okay. that was in that room did feel that. Um Okay but they said like lights were flashing they could hear like glass breaking um david was like screaming like don't let it into the house don't let it into the house but then after about 30 seconds everything went quiet um Hmm. and so obviously the family was super freaked out so they decided to go talk to one of their neighbors who i guess was a tarot reader um like psychic person and they were like I don't know. We're having this ghost problem. We don't know what to do. Like it's super freaky. Um, and so I guess the, the neighbor somehow knew about the Warrens and referred them to the Warrens. Um, and obviously like the Warrens have investigated thousands of cases of hauntings and things. Um, we definitely did talk a lot about Amityville, um, but also, you know, various exorcisms and things. Um, and I guess Ed had like a scoring system for hauntings and he rated this one a 10 out of 10 for hauntings. Oh, wow. 
whatever we want to believe about this as we get further, Ed was pretty convinced this was something significant. Um, but so Debbie, Debbie called the Warrens and Ed was like, okay, have you brought him to any medical professionals or any sort of psychology people? And they hadn't. So Ed actually did bring a doctor so that, um, they would be able to like, make sure that it's not some sort of hallucination or something. Um, yeah, it's good to rule things that would be, you know, more like would make more logical sense to rule those things out first. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, like I kind of said, it could have just been a kid like acting out for attention, right? Like, um, it doesn't not, we'll see how you feel at the end of this case. It's very interesting to me. Um, okay. But anyway, so granted, you know, the family actually had nothing but glowing words really about how kind and gentle the Warrens were with David. Um, the doctor concluded he was a normal kid, didn't have any sort of, you know, paranoia or anything like that. No, nothing physically was wrong. Um, and then they interviewed the family. So they like interviewed them all kind of one at a time. Um, and Ed made a bad call and decided he wanted the entity to show itself. And so he wanted to provoke the spirit. So he kind of was like, well, what type of spirit are you? If you can't even like do what we ask you to like, da da da. So he was like, knock on the table three times. Um, and the spirit did knock three times and they said that lights flickered and that the room rumbled again. Um, and just so folks know, like Ed claims he's a demonologist, um, and like, does more like the exorcism things and Lorraine is a clairvoyant. So um, at this time, I guess Lorraine saw a large black mass near David that she just was like, it's evil. And I guess based on that sort of interaction, they decided that the entity they were dealing with was a demon and not just a ghost. Um, and I guess there are different like stages to possession. Um, and they said that David was kind of in this like oppression stage where he's not fully possessed, but he like his thoughts and some of his actions can be influenced by the demon. Okay. Um, so he was like, okay, if your son's, you know, on the verge of being possessed, let's just like, take them to a church, like get in touch with the church, start working to get permission from the Vatican, all the things to do an exorcism. Um, okay. And I guess at this time too, Ed was trying to prepare the family for the possibility that David would be fully possessed. Um, oh, wow. How do you prepare somebody for that? <laughs> girl, I, I mean, maybe just saying like, pay attention for these behaviors, pay attention for whatever like be ready for him to say all sorts of horrible horrible things I don't really know but yeah yeah I don't know but I guess the family did spend a couple of weeks like while they were waiting for permission from the Vatican and everything um just kind of watching David and they did notice his behavior was changing um, and there are recordings of this on the documentary, if you want to hear them. Um, but he started talking in kind of a quote unquote demonic way. He was growling. He was being violent towards members of the family. Um, his brothers said that it looked like he was like fighting something they couldn't see. 
So um, maybe he was fighting the demon. Um, There apparently was an occasion where David was floating above the ground and it looked like something was choking him, which I'm just imagining like in Star Wars, but (laughs) I don't, you know, they didn't really give much of a detail outside of that. Um, But I mean, the rest of the family to see that, that must have been really scary. Yeah. And so David swears that the only thing he remembers from this time is that instance where he was like levitating and being choked he doesn't remember anything else from the possession like he doesn't remember like hitting members of his family or growling or yelling or saying horrible things um and so they said that the family was like pretty much praying constantly like they were taking turns like watching him or praying and like doing everything in shifts to make sure like someone was always you know with him um apparently their father jason like really believed that it was a mental health issue um and the family was feeding into it um they they didn't really say what changed his opinion but his opinion changed enough to where they decided to work with the warrens and move toward having an exorcism um okay and so there was a cardinal named, I'm going to say this now, I might say his name wrong, um, but his name is Cardinal Ver- Vergilac, I think. Um, and he was brought in by the Warrens um, after the church ruled that this was a legitimate possession. So in September of 1980, which is, I believe, two months, because this all started, what, July? Yeah, July. So it's like three months later, or like two-ish, three-ish months later, they're finally getting the possession, um, or the exorcism. Or the exorcism, yeah. So they're doing a minor exorcism. I don't know if it's just like less scary and intense than a normal one. Maybe David like wasn't as possessed as other cases. Maybe it's not as severe, but they were going to do this exorcism. So they did it at St. Joseph's Church, um, in their town and david says he only remembers the family and priests saying prayers and then um the room became like ice cold david i guess his body was like convulsing and he was growling and cussing and saying horrible things and like trying to fight the people holding him down and all of that um some members of the family described that like his body was twisting in ways that shouldn't be possible and that even his facial features changed. They didn't really give much of an insight into like what that meant. Like, I don't know if like maybe the demon was messing with his bones. I don't really know. Um, And then I guess Arnie. um, So Debbie's boyfriend put a crucifix on David's forehead and it sizzled. And at the time, like during the exorcism, this was becoming like a really dangerous medical thing because his tongue had swelled up and he was turning blue. Um, Oh, wow. And so this is a very bold and crazy thing I would never do. But Arnie said, leave this kid alone. Take me on. I'm here. Take me on. And Arnie says that he felt a coldness take over him. And Ed and Lorraine immediately were like, this was a mistake like you shouldn't have ever done that um and so david went back to normal they believed that the exorcism worked and you know that was 
really it. So, but so did the other guys start having symptoms? Well, let me get into that. Okay. So here's where we get into the true crime elements of this case. So uh, there was a detective named Detective Cooper, and he knew something weird was going on with the family because it's a small community. Like he knew the Warrens were around. He didn't know what was going on. But I guess when the Warrens were leaving, they came to the police station and were like, we just want you to know that Arnie Cheyenne Johnson challenged the devil. And then Lorraine said that she saw some sort of serious injury or death with a knife. And she was like, I don't know, but this is like the vibe I'm picking up right now. And the guy was like, but the okay. vibe was that, that he was going to commit a crime with a knife. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. As a police officer, though, I don't know what you do with that, you know, yeah. especially back then. Yeah. I don't know. They would probably think she's just crazy. Right. Well, and so the detective actually said, he's like, you know, in a normal case, like I would just think someone's pulling my leg, but he just like something about the way she said it, he believed her. Like he was like, okay like that's weird um so i'm gonna get into it obviously sadly lorraine was right so um a little bit backstory about this person so alan bono was debbie's boss um she was working as a dog groomer and i guess like he owned like property with like kennels and stuff. And so he was actually their landlord. And so like he had offered to let them live um, on his property to make it easier for her to work. And they were a young couple and like whatever. So they were like living on his property to help him with the dogs. And, you know, after everything that went down with David, I think the whole family was just trying to move on and get back to normal. Um, so the exorcism is in September. So we're going all the way to February of 1981 now. And so the, so everything was back to normal for them then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's good for them. Yeah. I I don't know if it's coming, but I'm sure if they felt like all of this was behind them. Yeah. It would be hard to see if something ended up happening later. Oh, absolutely. So let's get into it. So February 16th of 1981, Arnie woke up and he said he was feeling a little sick, um, but he was excited because his sisters were coming in for a visit. So he like got up and drove to Bridgeport, Connecticut um, and picked up his sisters, came back to the house. Um, He said that like when they got to the house, um, they decided to have lunch with Alan and um, Debbie and the sisters. And so they were eating and I guess Alan was like drinking wine and Arnie was like feeling like, I guess, uncomfortable with the way Alan was acting, but he wasn't like mad at him or anything. He was just like, he's a little boisterous. He's a little like, whatever, like, let's just like let him be go on with the rest of our day. Um, And Arnie said that, like, as he walked down the stairs after, like, leaving, that he completely blacked out. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't know. Okay. And so 
between now and then, um, the next thing that happens is the Glatzel family gets a phone call from Debbie and she's in hysterics and crying. And while they're trying to figure out what's going on, David has a vision of a man being killed. And so oh, David was like, they the just have visions now. yeah. So then oh, David, okay. David told the family, like the, the demon possessed Arnie, like something happened and like, whatever. So the family all rushes out over there. So in the report, it's kind of written as they were drunk and they got into some sort of physical altercation, which moved from inside to about 20 feet outside of the house. Um, Arnie pulled a knife and stabbed Bono multiple times before running off into the woods. That's did what people the- that were around, did they say that they were drunk? Um, or didn't anybody know what the fight was about? Well, so that's the thing. So this is this is where it gets into was he possessed or was he um, not? So oh, okay. let me finish reading this and then we'll totally get into okay. that. Um, but um, the interesting thing was that Alan, so like I said, he kind of disappeared into the woods and he was actually walking towards the Glatzel's house in Brookfield. Like, so he, with the knife, was found walking towards the house where like David and the family was. And okay, David actually somehow in his vision saw this and was trying to barricade the door with his brother, Alan. Um, and the family swears up and down. They had like no reason to ever be afraid of him. This was completely out of Arnie's character. Like they all swore up and down. That's it, There's no way. Um, and so Arnie was actually apprehended on the way to the house um, after an ambulance driver saw a man matching the description. And so he was disheveled um, when he was arrested. He had no idea what was going on. Um, he was like in complete disbelief that he even killed Alan. Um, and his sisters and Debbie were the only witnesses. And so Detective Cooper was completely shocked. Like he was like, it seemed like he came out of a trance and like had no idea what had happened at all. Like he truly was like in complete disbelief and like, grief over the fact that he had killed Alan. He had no idea. Um, Debbie says she didn't actually see the stabbing happen. Um, and she thought that they might be able to prove possession. So they were going to work with the defense to prove that he was possessed by a demon. And that's why he killed the guys. Um, he was only 19 at the time. Um, and I guess his sisters also signed confessions that Arnie stabbed Alan. So his sister saw it. The fiance didn't, I don't really know. Uh, So his, his defense attorney was Martin Manila and he talked to the Warrens and he admits that he was absolutely a skeptic, but he went to their museum, listened to tapes of the exorcisms they showed him all of this evidence and he believed that there was a chance it could be a legitimate defense based on whatever he saw with the Warrens. Um, And at the time, demonic possession had been used in England and had been proven, but it had never been tried in the U S 
Um, yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, had it ever been used in a as a defense in a court of law before, but not in the U.S.? Not in the U.S. So only in England, I believe. And um, I mean, the guy even was like, I mean, it's the hardest defense to prove because you're always going to have skeptics. You're going to have people not believe that this is a possibility, right? Um, and so people were really divided on the case. They were like, was it some sort of like two guys got drunk and got in a fight or, you know, what, you know, what happened? Um, so interestingly, one of the, one of the brothers, Carl, um, he was 15 at the time and he firmly believes that this was not a possession at all. Like even with David, nothing like he was like, everyone thought that we seemed like the perfect family. That was definitely exaggerated. He said that when the Warrens came to interview David, um, like they basically told him what the symptoms of a possession were. And then a few days later, David started acting like that. Um, like the Warrens told him what the symptoms would be. Yeah. Like they were like, if you were possessed, you would do this, that, or the other thing. Um, and so in the beginning, like the Warrens were really around and like, like very present when David was first showing signs of being possessed. But he said that instead of helping David, they were just like recording him and like letting him put on a show basically. And really, they said that in one instance, they were trying to calm David down and his father slapped him and like David immediately calmed down. So then it was like like, David was like acting in hysterics and being terrible. And like, they were all like, David, calm down, David, calm down. And then the dad slapped him and David just like basically got up and like was fine. (laughs) Yeah. You think David would slap back. (laughs) You would think, right? Um, And then I guess on the night of the murder, um, uh, Carl was there and he saw the stab wounds and was trying to talk to Alan to keep him alive. Like, it was just like, stay with me, whatever. Um, But sadly, Alan didn't make it. And um, apparently... Arnie was really possessive of Debbie. And so there were rumors that Debbie and Alan were having an affair. Um, And I guess before Arnie and Debbie were an item, she had been involved with Alan, but it was over and she swears up and down the murder wasn't related to it at all. Like she was like, it's water under the bridge. Like there's no jealousy there. Um, And I guess Carl was, like, the only brother that, like, wasn't really allowed to speak on the case. And so his family, like, his conspiracy is that his family was, like, keeping him from the spotlight because he was the only one that would be, like, oh, it was totally fake. Um, So, I don't know. But back to the case a little bit. So this is the only time ever in U.S. history that demonic possession was used as a defense um okay he was convicted of first degree murder he was facing 25 years to life um but the judge actually ruled that demonic possession was not an acceptable defense and so 
the judge yeah, is going to say, I know there's no precedent, but I wonder what the, like, what would that be? Because normally it'd be, you know, 25 to life if you're found, you know, guilty, you know, and then if it was like insanity, maybe you would be assigned to go to a hospital or something. But if it's possession, I don't even know what they would do with that. Yeah. So apparently, like I said, the judge ruled it wasn't acceptable and he pretty much threw out any evidence that was proof of possession, which made it really hard for the defense. Like they basically had no evidence. Um, Hmm. And apparently like the Catholic church was ready to testify and was like at the, like there were a whole bunch of priests at the church to talk about demonic possession. And the second that, um, the, you know, the judge like threw out possession as an option. They basically got up and left and the church has never publicly commented on the case. So really, I do think that's interesting that they were at the courtroom and then they left obviously, but then they're still not commenting on the case at all. Um, yeah. And in the documentary, there was a priest, but he was like, um, not like present during the exorcism like he was just someone that was commenting on like how that process is to like get an exorcism and stuff he wasn't commenting on the case really at all um okay but it was interesting so arnie did have to testify and he was like still maintaining he had no memory of the murder at all um and so his defense decided that they needed to plead self-defense um with the hope of a manslaughter conviction rather than um first degree murder so he was sentenced or he was found guilty of manslaughter in the first degree and was given the maximum sentence of 10 to 20 years in prison um and it defense like he he just said that they were in a fight and like the other guy was a risk to him yeah the way he put it was like they were in a fight and he pulled a knife because he felt unsafe and that was that um And interestingly, so, you know, Debbie, like, ran before they took Arnie out of the courtroom and, like, gave him a kiss. And, like, he told her to, like, live her life and move on. And she, like, insisted on staying with him. And she believed he was innocent and that it was possession for the rest of her life. Um, Oh, wow. So Arnie and Debbie got married in prison in 1985. And he was released a year after um after serving five years for good behavior um and they were together until debbie's death in 19 or not 19 2021 um oh wow and arnie says that he no longer feels possessed but that he never received an exorcism so i do find that interesting that the devil would like i don't know possess you so you kill one person and then suddenly disappear (laughs) Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that feels a little sketch. Yeah. So. Well, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the slap thing, you know, because I'm sorry. And maybe I've just seen too many possession movies. But if you slap the devil, the devil slaps back. <laughs> like, yeah, I have I'm, a hard time believing the dad could slap. And then the kid just like is like, oh, OK, I'll behave now. Right. You know. And that yeah. this, this last part, it kind of adds fuel to the fire that maybe this was a lot of publicity too, because Mrs. Glatzel really wanted the story to be told. 
So she went on talk shows all over the place. She even went to Hollywood to have dinner with Dick Clark. Oh my gosh. Um, The Warrens told them that they would be millionaires and that they were going to write a book. And Ed very famous famously said, make it scary. People buy scary. So there are already the book that probably are very exaggerated. Um, and kind of like painting the Warrens in a bad light, but I guess the family only received $4,500, but the Warrens made over $80,000 off of the book. So, oh my gosh, that really sucks. Um, and the, um, the brother Carl, who doesn't believe in this at all, was basically like, if they can profit off you, they will. Um, so I feel like that adds a little bit of it too. Um, and yeah. I guess the family in general, after the book was released and everything, they kind of lost faith in the Warrens in general after like realizing they were being scammed. Um, yeah. And so they're just like some other interesting things. So the brother Carl um, said that Judy had been putting Somonex, which I guess is a sleeping medication um, in the family's food. Like they said, it was kind of like a, she wanted to be able to control them type of thing. And so he would say that like, they would have like a bowl of food on the table, but she would have a separate bowl. And so they would all eat out of like the, you know, communal bowl and she had her own like pot or whatever. And, um, well, that's just for sure. Right. And so I guess some side effects of the medication could include mood swings and hallucinations. So the brother's theory is that David basically was just having hallucinations from the medication. Um, but David, like both brothers are interviewed kind of back and forth. And David in the interview was like, I refuse to believe this. I think I was 11, like, I think I was possessed when I was 11 years old. I have no reason to lie. Um, and yeah, but this is where, you know, this makes me go back to the, um, the whole satanic panic leading questions, all of that stuff. If they were saying, oh, well, your mom says you're possessed. If you were possessed, this is what you'd be doing. And then suddenly a couple of days later, he starts doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, that sounds like kids are very easily influenced and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, it's not success. Yeah. It's a little suspicious. And so that being said, like the family, I guess, is very disconnected. Like they're all very scattered and barely talk to each other. Um, so I don't really know. Um, but yeah, in my opinion, I don't think that a man, like, I don't think Arnie was possessed. Um, but that's just my opinion. What, what, well, it- and because if he was possessed, it would have shown up while he was in jail, while he was in court. Like, you know, it doesn't just go away. So, right. That's how I feel too. It just seems, it seems random, right? Like, it would just stop. Like, you'd think he'd go on like some murderous rampage while he was in jail or something. Um, so yeah, I don't really understand it. Um, but I thought it was an interesting case. Um, and I did want to say, I mentioned earlier at the top that this case was featured, um, on ghost adventures because Zach has the chair that the exorcism was allegedly performed in. And when I went to the museum, they did talk about um, 
this case a little bit. And they said that when Zach was moving the chair into the museum, he like, you know, had handled the chair and was like, in the worst mood of his life and was angry and like, whatever. And like, he was so like, irritable, like for like a day. And originally, they actually like let you touch the chair. But I guess like some guys like got in a huge fight while they were at the museum after touching the chair. So now you're no longer allowed to touch the chair. Um, when I was there, it's like mm. behind a glass wall now. <laughs> so I do think that's kind of interesting. I I think sometimes some things on Ghost Adventures are exaggerated, but I found that interesting too. So yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I think he's irritable in general. So I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That, that's really outside of the, you know, he was probably like, why the fuck am I having to move this chair? Shouldn't I be paying you guys to move the chair? Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, though, if people got in a fight after touching a chair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I I found that I found that case interesting after hearing about it. Um, I personally haven't seen the movie. Had did you ever see the the Devil Made Me Do It Conjuring movie? No. Okay. Well, maybe that's one we should watch. But <laughs> yeah, that's my case. Um. Uh well yeah I'm, I don't know I feel like you know I've always you know because I've always heard of the Warrens as being so reputable and then you see the movies and it you know obviously the movies make everything even more scary but you know it seems so like real mm -hmm. and then you hear these stories the Amityville and this one where it seems like maybe it wasn't so real and you know because the Amityville clearly is not a haunted house I mean it only was supposedly haunted for that one family who benefited by writing the book and and making the movie so yeah. you know everybody else that's been there says it's clearly not haunted you know but that does make me think the warrens are out to profit yeah just a little bit yeah <laughs> all so, right so it makes me wonder though if there's any truth in what they do or if it's all a hoax I know I really do want to go to their museum in Connecticut like I just kind of want to walk yeah. through it and see if I get vibes or like whatever because I like I mean I know yeah. Annabelle's there and there are other things but I I in recent years after doing like a little bit of research here and there about the Warrens I think I have a bit less faith in some of their stuff yeah I don't know <laughs> well friends um if you have any thoughts about this case and whether or not it is a legitimate legitimate possession or not, um, feel free to DM us on Instagram at whatthelpod. You can email us at whatthelpod at gmail.com. Um, you're welcome to subscribe to our Patreon. We have a couple bonus episodes up there now um, and are going to keep doing bonuses once a month, as well as maybe some extra little things here and there for our lovely patrons. Um, we're also um, looking for any sort of spooky story, brush with true crime, anything any of y'all have um, to share with us. So feel free to send that out. Um, but outside of that, I just want to say I appreciate you, Mama. <laughs> I appreciate you too, baby. Thanks for telling the story. Of course. And we appreciate you, friends. Have a good one. Bye-bye.